the care side should be threaded into the initial sales process so that you're setting this person up for long-term success. Then sales should then be threaded into the care process, which is the inverse, later, because you're having to convince people. I mean, you're always selling when you're trying to make people change a habit or break a belief system or change their mindset. All of that stuff is essentially sales, but it's sales from a place of caring. Welcome to the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast, where we'll share our insights on how to make more money, how to help more people, and how to be a better leader for your business and your community. We've been in this game since 1992, and we'll share our successes and failures along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Hello, Matt. Rick, what's going on, man? You know what's going on, Matt. Franchise sales, and more importantly, getting clubs open. Yeah. For those of you that are listening, Matt has yet another role added to his list. So once clubs are open and and running, Matt has now moved into the seat of the uh, franchise, head of franchise business coaching for clubs that are already open. So we've got a team of people that goes through pre-sales, and then we just have Matt after that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we have a department Word. that Matt, Matt will be the head of right now, You know, getting clubs open. There's a lag, obviously, between sales and opening, and so Matt's in that process. But we he's a department? Uh, it's a, you have a whole department now right now it's only you but it will be many <laughs> many more so yeah but matt's really good at it because he he's run our club for so many years thanks for making me insane done all that yeah exactly <laughs> i know he's like oh, God, i woke up at 3 30 i'm thinking about these numbers so <laughs> but anyway yeah that's cool so that's a new development for us but it's really just about putting the right people in the right seats and i think you're better suited to the club ops like long term because you sat in that seat here for so long and a lot of it's just the thing some of it we're actually going to touch on today but I think it's a it's a good good seat for you to you be. You know, in. it's fun. It, it's you know, I always I like coaching. You know, doing yeah. some licensing coaching, which you did a lot of that business coaching all the time. It's it's a lot different knowing exactly the model, <laughs> which is really nice. <laughs> you know, it's very helpful. When uh, when Matt jumps in and helps me out with coaching for franchisees, he has to go in and look at Salesforce and see like what kind of business model they have. Are they are they large club? Are they training club? What kind of memberships do they have? Are they low price? Are they you know how did we like, because there was always some consulting on the front end of prescribing people. Like, all right, for right. you, you want to sell it like this, right? One on one and and classes, right? And we would build that out for them. So yeah, that was much harder because you had to have like in depth knowledge of that particular business right. model. This one, the model is so it's much easier to coach to it because it's the same mechanisms for yeah. everybody, right? So that you makes know it exactly much what works. Someone does well. It. Same thing with programming, right? Because you have to write all kinds of programs. Now we don't write them specific to the club, but. We're taking into consideration like there's different sizes, like it's everything from a small personal training center to a giant tennis center that has or gold gym or something that has this in there. Those are completely different. Now with franchising, when you're writing programs for that, it's like, you know, exactly how much equipment we have. You can work the flow mm -hmm. in and out. It can Absolutely. be much more efficient around yeah. that. Right. I know yeah, you've yeah. said that. So that's cool. Yes, sir. So I went to the pet store this weekend because mm -hmm. it's getting close to the holidays and my kids want different things. So... My daughter wants to be a beekeeper. Did you know that? No. Ever heard that? <laughs> Add that to your list of things that she likes to do. Yeah. She's very eclectic. So I'd start out, like, I don't want to get too many, so I went in. <laughs> Sorry. I can't look at Matt and tell these jokes. So I went in and I uh, I asked for a dozen bees, right? And uh, they carefully counted them out and put them in a the little box. And so as I, they were ringing me up, I was looking in there and I counted through them and I was like, ho, ho, this is 13, there's one more bee in here than there should be. And the lady looked at me and in the nicest way ever said, oh, that's the freebie. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Where did you even get that? I don't know, dude. Just, you know, I, I'm trying I to get away from the spouse that. jokes. 
I've got a lot of memory on for oh, odd man. things. You as need you know. something to do, man. I know, I do. Now, I've got a giant head, and there's a lot of gray matter in there, and most of it is absorbed with useless information. But <laughs> it stays in there forever, as you know. Oh, my God. Oh. What was the invention that helped us see through walls? Windows. <laughs> so stupid. That's literally all I could store. That was it. God. You really are busy. It was hard. I was, believe you now. I almost forgot sitting down. <laughs> Between the one seven side, words. One side of the conference <laughs> table and the other. <laughs> What's the thing in the side of a house oh, that's made yeah. out of glass? Oh, yeah, a window. <laughs> well, I think what we're going to talk about today is more in your wheelhouse, Matt. We don't have to get you out of your comfort zone to remember a, Stress a, me a joke, right? This is, uh, we're going to call it the sales paradox. And really what it's going to be is, is there's, in our business specifically, and in most fitness businesses, there's really two main levers that you can pull. One is sales, which it's marketing first, and that brings a customer in front of you. And then you have to have a process to sell that customer to convince them that you're the solution to their problem. You get them into your system, right? Which is really easy to understand and everybody focuses on that, right? They do. They always do. Now, the thing is, if you want to grow a business, any business, and we're talking about fitness, you also have to have a really good retention model because, uh, and fitness has struggled with this traditionally, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one of the claims that we have that sets us apart from other brands is that we have really good retention. And so it's like, oh, cool. Because if you want the groundswell of clientele, right, to grow and fill up your gym, you're probably not going to get there if you're putting, you know, water in a leaky bucket. So you've got to plug those holes, which is the retention side, and you have to sell. And I think the paradox between the two is we typically, when we're working with franchisees or in the past when I was working with licensees, you have different companies or different brands or different even within the same brand, different individuals that are strong at one or the other, right? So we're going to talk a little bit today about the paradox between sales and retention, and maybe just to put a different lens on it. One's like sexy and one's work. Boom. Short term. I mean, really. Honestly, dude, like, (laughs) uh, like, yes, like you just hit the nail on the head. One of them is like, you know, there's gamesmanship. It's Mm -hmm. like, turn this on and this, and there's metrics around it. And the other one is just, it's the 20 mile march. It's showing up every day. We have all these soft touch systems built in our business. So it's showing up and doing those, right? But what's interesting is if you're a sales-minded individual, you really struggle at times to understand what that concept that mm-hmm. you just said, especially to the person that likes sales. Like, right. okay, great. You're that person. That's sexy and easy for you to understand. To you, you just can outsell any kind of churn. But I will tell you that you can't, and it's expensive, and it's not the way to do it. Right. But the other part, the retention side of the formula is much harder because it's about what we've often referred to here as the 20-mile march, which is show up every day, run your seven core tenants, know everybody's names, take care of them, celebrate their wins, all the little things right that go on the care side. Those are harder to do, and especially if you're sitting at like an investor level or like maybe if in the past if I was talking to the, a guy who owned like 10 giant health clubs, it was always about sales. And they never wanted to dig into like the people yeah. problems that they may have did around they, the retention ever, side. Did anybody really have an answer to that, or they just didn't care? A lot of them. No, I most mean, probably not the good ones. <laughs> no, I mean honestly, most of them just created so much sales momentum that they would just offset their crappy retention with a massive amount of sales. Yeah, but and that's one thing if you're a ten dollar a month gym, right? 
But if you're a personal training center, like, geez, just the name on the door implies that we're going to take better care of you than someone yeah, else. Absolutely. The price threshold is high compared to those other types of concepts. So the price itself is a stickier, you know, and the, mm-hmm. as we know, psychology proves that if you pay more, you'll appreciate it more and you'll take advantage of it. So I would say that let's just look at our business specifically, like which is more important. And I, I'm just going to say it's probably 50-50, but I think it comes in phases. Would you agree? No, oh, absolutely. I mean, like, that's that's kind of hence why we talk about putting me in the role I'm in, right? It, yeah, kind 100%. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Because there's a, there's a point in time where it's all about sales. And in our case, that would be in the pre-sale. Mm-hmm. Then once, you know, like say once Matt's taking over, you're like, you're, you've been open for three months, the dust has settled from your pre-sale. And now you start your 20 mile march of like making sure that the coaches are providing the best experience possible and all the other things that come along with retention. Um, that's when you need to switch gears. And so what's interesting is we, we work with franchisees and we've worked with organizations who are stronger on either side of that. Right. And I would say that you need both equally. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's, that's how we are where we are. Yeah, because yeah. if you're really <laughs> strong in sales and you have a strong pre-sale and then your, your actually delivery of the product isn't – your quality control isn't there. Maybe your hiring processes aren't great or you don't, you don't have the right trickle-down culture. Like you didn't get it fully when you were here and then you didn't pass it down to your coaches. You're going to have a higher return than normal, right? Now we have and have seen our brand and not – be strong on the other side where like retention is amazing, but you're still going to have some churn. Even our claim churn would be 3% a month. And these are the type typically of that are, that are like coach driven where the retention and the delivery of mm-hmm. the thing is amazing, but they struggled on the sales side conceptually because it's like, Oh, you know, like there's plenty of customers and they might even convince themselves that adding more volume to their business would somehow dilute the service yeah. that the current customers were getting. Like that's the justification at not leaning yeah, into sure. sales. Very right? client-centric, everything, which that's how, they, again, you're hitting on why they have good retention. <laughs> yeah. And so not surprisingly, the ones who are really focused on the clients and maybe not as much sales have great retention, but they still don't grow their business. And the ones that are really great at sales have no problem selling, but they're on this inevitable you know, right. wheel of, of churn. And so it really what it takes is, is understanding that both are equally as important and that there's probably times in your business when you have to sell really hard. And then there's times when you'll have to focus more on retention. Now, I think what you said before we started the podcast was everything is retention. And I think what you were you speaking to that? Well, let me just let you tell me. So what what was your thought in saying that? Everything is retention. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sales especially for in our business for selling personal training and how we even do a pre-sale to even after pre-sale when you're signing somebody up we teach and give people that much care and basically treat them as if they're a client right away so like and that's how you get retention it's a difference between like you know going to used car sales and versus going to ferrari and they you know whatever or lexus you know what i mean so you're yeah so i think what you're, if i'm hearing you right and i might not be but that you're articulating that the sales process is somewhat intertwined with the retention play, Absolutely. meaning like the way you sell right. them has a lot to do with the I retention. Mean, we've talked about it a million times, how much value we bring in in our sales process, and that is to help get that client to understand what they need to do and keep them for a long time. And then you just keep go back and hit them again with it and hit them again with it, accountability and follow-ups. Right. So the setup in the sales process could either – help or hurt your retention. Yes. Like over promising under delivering. I mean, we've had, we've had these things even under our corporate shell here. We've been in business for 30 years. 
We've had directors that sat in that seat in the past that would promise things that were so outlandish. And we didn't learn till later, like, why is this particular person, when they're in charge, our retention ticks up by a percentage or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, when you really dig in, it went all the way back to the sales process where someone might say, well, I have a bad shoulder. And instead of saying, great, we're going to be able to work around that, they might make a promise and it might just be, it might be innocent, honestly. They might just say something like, oh, well, we're going to, we're going to fix that for you. Yep. They might not really mean that we're going to fix it, but when you say you're going to fix it, the client hears that we're going to fix it, Right. So you set an expectation that's unrealistic automatically. Now, when that person right um, shows up to, to work out, and yes, they're getting to their fitness goal, but their shoulder still hurts six months later, like, well, he says going to fix it, right? Which never should have been articulated because it's not true. Like, we don't necessarily fix pain. It can happen. Sometimes getting stronger and all that can certainly fix it, but we're not physical therapists, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so there's that. Now, what about the... Uh, the opposite of that, where, yes, retention is is baked into the sales process, but isn't sales also baked into the retention process? And I'm, it sounds like we're just playing word games. I promise that we're not. Matt's laughing. He's <laughs> no, like, I mean, what are you it, talking in circles? But what I'm saying is, if I'm three years down the road, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a customer of, of Alloy, and Matt, you're the director there, and I take a trip to Italy for a month, and you're like, listen... I don't want you to quit. You've lost this weight. You finally feel good. You're able to go to Italy and you're going to do this hiking trip while you're there. And all that's possible because you're coming here. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you some vacation workouts to do, blah, 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 blah. Then I come back and I did a few of them, but not as many as I should have, which is human nature. Sure. And then for some reason, I'm just like, my body's inflamed because I've been drinking a lot. I've been eating a lot of pasta and stuff. And I don't do well with that or whatever those things are. I've gained 10 pounds of water weight. And I come back and I'm just like, bleh. So somehow in my mind, I'm convinced myself that this doesn't work when really this meant I took a month off and ate my way across Italy, right? Just workouts suck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> go that far. Damn. That's very sensitive about this. Clearly. Yeah. Man, he's like, he's, like oh, he's got PTSD. But if, if they somehow thought it wasn't, then you have to then, and I'm air quoting, sell them on the fact that like the thing that got you here before is still the same thing that we need to do now. Just right. because you fell off the wagon, so to speak, doesn't mean that we can't get it back, right? So the, to me, there's like a million conversations that happen like that. We call it talking people off the ledge. Mm-hmm. And it, that's like, I would say, almost the number one job in retention of the director yeah. is to like talk people off the ledge. Chief because, Salvation Officer. Oh, I like that. That's what it is. Yeah, that's a great term for it because that's what it is. Because people, like fitness is very emotional. It's very personal. And people will make excuses. And I don't say that in meaning that in a negative way. I think we all do it. We all tell stories to ourselves to make ourselves feel better about our station in life, whether it's professionally or personally or in fitness or whatever those things are. And so you can convince yourself of whatever you want. So if you don't really love working out, and that's most of the population for all you fitness people listening, you should know that, then it's not hard to understand how someone could come to the conclusion, even though it's false, that this workout doesn't work for them at this point in time. And it's really just because their lifestyle is taking a turn. Maybe their stress is up or they've got a family member that's not doing well and they're taking care of them. There's a lot of reasons in our population that these things come up. I would say that having those conversations with them to keep them on board is selling, even though people that are more care-oriented wouldn't see it that way. Would you agree, though? Isn't that sales? I mean, how about this? If you don't do what we talked about initially and create that, you know, good expectations in that starting point session like we do do you think that those conversations would um be easy or hard like would you keep that customer if you did a crappy job at the front end and just were hardcore sales or would you keep them 
Yeah, great point. I mean, you could be super voodoo sales, possibly, but I, I would venture to guess it would be easier for that person to walk out the door. A hundred percent. So I guess what we're saying in a nutshell and what you're articulating to me, Matt, is that the two things are one and the same. Yeah. Whether it's at the start of the business, when that person first comes in the door, two, three or four years later, like you're selling, but you're selling from a place of care. Does that make yeah, sense? Take a true interest in others. I mean, I, it, it, literally we've built all our systems around that to be that. And then to, to highlight and find opportunities or opportunities, we'll look for spots where clients are struggling. Like it's all built in there. Cause again, we're working on general population. So we set them up right at the start. We're seeing if they're struggling. We're always there. Yes. You're always selling, right? You're selling them back, but we created that opportunity by doing a good job out of the gate. Yeah. Good point. So I guess what we're saying is you need to do both. And one is not more important than the other. They're equally as important. And the care side, right, should be threaded into the initial sales process so that you're setting this person up for long-term success. And then when you're, then sales should then be threaded into the care process, which is the inverse later, right. because you're having to convince people. I mean, you're always selling when you're trying to make people change a habit or break a belief system or change their mindset. All of that stuff is essentially sales, but it's sales from a place of caring, which I is mean, a really, again, it's the paradox. You do that all the time. I, I've heard you have conversations with complete strangers that aren't even members here on like just literally selling things that would make them feel better, whether it was working out, nutrition, whatever it may be. And that's just because you actually care. <laughs> I yeah, see, I mean, I, I, I really, I really do. Like, I mean, and I think you've articulated this well. Someone that will do well in the fitness space, especially in the coaching fitness space, is someone that has a passion for just helping people. You know, I know coaches here like uh, you have been one, Joe, who was famous for it and kind of built the position here yeah, over yeah. time. He was so good at just, he just had such a passion for helping people and fitness just became like this amazing vehicle to do so. Right. But he would do things like, like say somebody came in and they literally couldn't afford it. Somehow they had ended up here and it was just not in there. You know, again, it's expensive, so it's not for everyone. We're not saying that it is unfortunately. And so if they, if he couldn't help them, he would give them advice on what to go and do, right? Because he really had such a passion for helping the person in front of him. Yes, he wanted to sell them, but he also knew if there was no shot, he could sell them because it really just literally wasn't a fit. Maybe they sure. were in their early twenties and they had gotten their first job and they're living with three roommates. And it's like, look, man, three or 400 bucks a month. That's just out of my scope. Mm -hmm. He's like, great. Well, here's what I would do then based on your goals. Here's what you need to do. Boom, boom, boom. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a couple of things. And back then it was printouts or whatever. I'll give right. you a couple of things to, to look at. And they were always super appreciative of that. Sometimes those people would then refer people in that could afford it, like people from their office or people in their family, like their parents or something like that. So it always came back to us in a positive way. But that was just an illustration of like it, you have to first care about helping people by any means necessary and then second step is you recognize that this particular alloy vehicle is a really good way to do so, but it has to start with not the thing, right? Not the braces, but right. the smile, like the, the part of it that, that, that helps people. That's the, your driving force. And you just should feel fortunate to be sitting in a vehicle that allows you to do so. But if you're not wired that way, you're probably going to struggle because if you're all sales and no care, right. you'll sell well, but you'll have a retention problem. If you're all care and you're afraid of sales, cause it's a dirty word, You'll have great retention, but you won't ever create enough. Keep all 13 clients, but never. <laughs> <laughs> the three people you have will last forever, but it's not enough people. So, 
And I think what we're learning is the art of coaching both types. And I think it's something we've always done well. And now we're learning how to do it well in the franchise structure, mm-hmm. which is convincing the the gardener and the hunter, as we talk about. Yeah, right? The yeah. hunter leaves the yard and kills it. And the gardener, if you throw it over the yard, they'll take care of it forever, which those are two different types of people normally. But the, our goal is to teach the hunter the care side and why that's so important and why you don't want to oversell on the front end to get a yes. Yep. And because that will increase churn if you do that, right? You set the wrong expectation. And then teaching the gardener that you have to leave the yard every now and then and kill some things. Because if you don't, it's like you're only taking care of a very few little things in your in your garden. So it's like you got to get out and do it. So I think it, for us, it's both sides. Now, we have a lot of systems built around both sales and care. And we understand this paradox, which is why we're talking about it and why we know how important that it is. What would you say is more important, Matt, the systems that are laid out or the culture that the company creates? <laughs> I, I mean, if it's both, it's both. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, culture is obviously like huge. If you can have a great culture, you can probably survive a lot of maybe messes in your system, maybe. Right. right. You, you could you could say that. But well, so you're I, saying your customers will give you more right. grace if you have an amazing like, culture. I mean, I mean, we we know this. You like we talk about this all the time in terms of just you know other gyms or if there's another trainer in your area is like if they're really awesome and it's an awesome culture your clients don't care what they're doing at the end of the day right Right. like it doesn't matter yeah like we all know (laughs) like we've we've all seen people do training techniques that were questionable but then you and i are able to zoom out over time and be like listen as long as they're not hurting people if people love hanging out with them and they've got a great culture and they really care about them it doesn't matter because they're getting them to the gym three days a week because they feel cared about and they're seen, if you mm-hmm. will. And so they show up and they're seen and they're cared about and they're going to get in much better shape even if they are if they don't do their kettlebells perfectly or whatever whatever the technique mm-hmm. things are that we tend to split hairs over. So you really, I mean, ideally if you do both, you're cooking with oil, but like if, you know, yeah. one or the other, um, you, you might struggle. So I would say it's more of a culture. And the culture comes like, like when you learn – like when you came here, you know, it was at the height of like all the the best culture people that we had were all on the floor at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of already had that wiring, you know, um, internally, but then you came in and it was always easy for you to recognize it and adopt it. Whereas I think other people might struggle if they're just all business or again, all care, right? You've just got to understand that, that healthy paradox yeah. between the two. Cultures that are interesting, I, mean, I sent out a podcast to our whole coaching group. Um, all of our alloy coaches and owners the other day. And then we all listened to it. It was only 30 minutes. It was great. Actually, Heather O'Day, props to her because she's a coach in our system. And um, more props because she's married to Rami, who's a complete psychopath. So, <laughs> what's up, Rami? He's nope. been on the podcast a bunch of times. Yeah, we love to pick on him. Um, great dude. And Heather's wired the right way as well. So she listens to this podcast as well. This is amazing. It's a guy who was telling a story about being in the restaurant industry. And I think he got nominated to the top 50. So they're sitting in the room with some of their heroes, all these Michelin-rated restaurants, right? They're in New York. And they were like, you know, where do you think we're going to come in? And his partner was like, I think we're coming in 27th. He's like, I, can't, I think we're coming in 30th. And they were the first name calls. They were actually 50th out of 50. Now, still, they're in the top 50, but they didn't think they were going to finish last. And when they really looked at, like, what made them or didn't, you know, at first it was like, well, our food is on par with everyone else. And then they were able to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you zoom out, everyone in this room has amazing food. Right. That's the table stakes, like yeah, we've talked about before. Give. That's the table stakes. Mm-hmm. You got to have great food. So you could say that in our business, then you got to have great workouts. Well, Matt's right in your workouts. Got them. Or if you got a programmer, a head programmer, got it, right? Then beyond that, 
like what's going to make a difference. And he talked about how they went from number 50 to number one and they did it in no other way than a culture that they built. Right. And it was on Simon Sinek's podcast actually. Mm -hmm. And Simon Sinek's always great culture guy. And so that's probably why I had him on. And this guy ended up writing a book. Simon Sinek published it, I believe, and helped him edit it because he convinced him like, you need to write a book about this. But one of the stories he told, I thought was great where he had some people in town and the wait staff were asking, you know, like they would, they would ask these really personal questions like, what are you doing here? And they're like, oh, we wanted to eat here. You know, we're from out of town. And he's like, well, did you, what else did you want to do while you were here? Right. And it just so came out in the conversation that like, oh, I really, I never got a chance because we fly out tomorrow. I never got a chance to try like a dirty water hot dog, which is like a street vendor hot dog from New York. And it's kind of a famous thing. Like you just want to have one if you're there, especially if you're there for a culinary tour or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this guy was like, okay, great. So then he runs, he goes back to the kitchen, gets this idea, goes out into the, to the street, buys some hot dogs, brings them back in. Now, mind you, this is a Michelin rated restaurant and then convinces the chef to serve it. So they like slice it up or whatever. And he takes it back to their, they try to, they make the presentation look right, nice, but it's, nice a, dirty it's a street, <laughs> it's a street hot dog. Right. And he sets the plate down on the table and he said, I'll never forget the looks on their faces and their reactions were unbelievable like just they they couldn't believe it like and he said and then i knew right then that was what that was it that was the thing that would take us from number 50 to number one right and so um then he went on to tell other stories about like just little things they can do to systemize it and these are the things that we have in place as well where it's like i think there they would they had hand they learned like some sign language it might have been actual sign language or just internal signs that they put out like baseball signs or something for like whose name was coming in next. And so when you walk in the restaurant, there's not someone standing behind. Yeah, there's no booth. Like a booth or yeah. a podium. Yeah. They're just standing there to greet you as a person would if you were meeting them for the first time and they shake your hand and they know your name already. But that's all driven by a system, right? Where someone behind the scenes has created this, he said it's very simple, like rudimentary system, but it's such an impactful thing for your first impression in the restaurant. So I think, both things are at play. There's a system, which we talked about. He's got now has systems for things that were a revelation from the, than the hot dog. Right. Um, so he took that and made a system out of it, but also everyone on the team buys into the culture of it because it's one thing to build the systems, but the adherence to them and the passion in which those systems are delivered is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Right now he's one restaurant. I think it's much easier to do if like he's there all the time. When you think about us as a brand or if you're, if you're going to manage like, if you're an investor in an alloy and you're doing 10 gyms, like we're going to pass that culture along to you and we're going to give you all the systems to do this, the, the exactly the same things that they do. We have those in place as a matter of fact, right? But you have to do them. That's the thing. And that that's where the culture comes in. Like there has to be such a passion around over servicing people in a way that you then, cause the passion will make you adhere to the systems for the next 10 years. Right. That's yeah, where that's I mean, going to come from. The beauty of having a system is that it gives you, more opportunities to have those great experiences and take care of clients. So would you say like That's if I was coming there. into an alloy, I was opening, let's just be specific, a gym. Once I have the systems in place, it's at which we would certainly supply in an alloy, or maybe if you're opening a private gym, you, you build those on your own, whatever right. those things are. You would say it's more important than the adherence to that and the culture that you like the belief system around those things because yeah. creating the things is not they're not complex no but you use the term we started this podcast out one is 
One's sexy and one's work. <laughs> one's sexy and one's work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great way to put it. So it's the work, but the work has to be driven by the culture, and the culture is driven by the passion to help people. Yeah, I mean, with our franchises, especially out of the gate, it's it's 100% make sure we got the system down. You got to be able to make the dirty hot dog when the water or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to be able yeah. to do the thing really well. Cause right. if, you know, And then once you can do that, now we can start working on – fun culture having fun with your members looking for different opportunities and really start work on the soft touch stuff right yep. you know who really does this thing i was thinking about this like via their commercials the other day is chick-fil-a chick-fil-a they amazing service everybody knows throw you go through their drive-through line in like two seconds but what are all their commercials about crazy cool things that some like waiter did for them or you know you know what i'm talking about yeah you know what and you're it's, right it's i've all, never thought it's about all that about you're right. that culture and experience it's expected now you go to chick-fil-a and you get a good chicken sandwich and you get through there quick that's just the thing that's just what they do that's the table stakes that's the table stakes and then they're better than ever everybody else right so they're in that top 50 but then they have this extra cool stuff that like you give your coaches and your team the autonomy to have fun and create those experiences yeah, I love it, man. And you're right. I, I, now that I'm thinking about that, that is most of the Chick-fil-A commercials are like a Chick-fil-A employee sitting down with someone else. And it's a story about how the Chick-fil-A employee heard that this person had something going on and they volunteered or they did that. And they're usually like tearful. And you're thinking it's chicken sandwiches. Like it's the most commoditized thing ever. It's fast food, right? Mm -hmm. But look at their culture, right? And because the thing is built, they already, you can X's and O's and engineer a faster drive through and you can build technology that makes things smoother and easier. I would say that like in our business, we've done that, but the other part, you just have, it can't be taught per se. It can, but it needs to just be top of mind. That's all yeah, encouraged. Well, think encouraged. about the things we have in place. Like CP top people do Like, you know, I was, you know, brought up in this place watching you guys do those special things for other clients. And then I do them. I mean, that's how it goes. Right. Right. What do you think the the key is to then, well, how about this? This is kind of a loaded question. So for someone like us, who's got hundreds of franchises sold and we'll have hundreds and hundreds at some point, maybe a loaded question, but like, what is, what is the mechanism then? How do you, how do we keep teaching that culture over time? Is it the questions that we ask? Is it the stories that we tell? I mean, it's all the above. I mean, like we said, starting out, you're, you're getting the first thing down. Then we can start talking about it. We can share stories that other clubs have done. Keep providing encouragement and be like, hey, have you tried about this? We got this. How's your call? Like, you know, thought provoking questions to your franchisees. Yeah. So it's any and all things, right? It has to be, yeah. uh, again, we've talked about this when we use this term, it has to be threaded within the culture and the core competencies of the company, mm -hmm. which it is for us. It's our job then to articulate and communicate that well to our investors who will then pass that down to their operators who will then pass it down to the coaches, right? Yeah. But it's got to be threaded through that entire, all those layers have to get that, right? And if you do, you guys, you, you'll be unstoppable. You really will. And if you've got an independent or separate business, like this paradox between sales and service is so important, they should it should be intertwined through the entire process from start to finish. And if you can do that, you guys, you're going to have an amazing business, even if you're not in fitness, honestly. This is this applies to almost any business, certainly yeah. service-based businesses, food, anything like that. So I hope it helps, and thanks for your input because that, that was really valuable because I know you sat in that seat doing both sales and care, which is that role, by the way. That's the operator, right? they got to be a bit of a chameleon. they got to be able to do both. So of all people that have to understand it, it's got to be that individual. So, yeah, good stuff. Weird. Terrible joke, but good stuff. <laughs> Everybody forgot about that already. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you found this content valuable, check us out at alloyfranchise.com for more information on the alloy systems. 
Also, leave us a five-star review so we can spread the good word and help more people.